Audio Hijack is, is telling me I can rec uh, upgrade as well. That's interesting it stopped working when I can upgrade. <laughs> how, how that... Like, I mean, I saw the pop-up as well, but I just yeah, yeah. said skip and then it went yeah, back to I regular. I don't think it's... Yeah, I think there's something in between updates of Mac OS. And, uh, oh, okay. Um, or potentially Discord have changed something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. But hey. Never mind. Did you get the Audio Hijack 4 update? Like all the podcasters are talking about, but I don't see the need for myself, to be honest. Uh, so I've been using Audio Hijack for oh, five and a bit years on the license that I've got. Oh, is this four? So, right? No, three, you mean, right? Yeah, on three. Yeah. And, and I feel like I sh I'm obligated to upgrade over the next week or two because I know how much these things cost to actually make and i feel like i've got my money's worth already oh yeah just just out of like loyalty and to yeah to make the product stay yeah i, I get that mm -hmm. i feel like since i i only bought this a few months ago <laughs> i'm still <laughs> i'm fine with staying on three for now that's fair that's fair if it's still working i give it a year but it is it is a delightful piece of software yeah yeah definitely um and uh, our Discord connection issues aside, um, it's been pretty pretty damn reliable for me, to be honest, over the last, let's say, five and a bit years. That is, that is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I hear, I hear you, you can even like, do the, um, connect the nodes manually now and stuff like that. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So if I had a more complicated setup, then microphone goes in and it records the disk then <laughs> then yeah i i i'd probably try and try and upgrade too yeah yeah i'm just looking at their page and i can see their nice nice new ui and it's just such a shame i can't run it on my ipad as well oh yeah that would be cool but i think that's an apple thing right oh yeah yeah that's that's not rogue amoeba's fault that's a, that's definitely an apple thing wasn't there like at some point a few years ago wasn't there like talk about like enabling all these audio apps to more easily talk to each other did anything ever come out of that or was that just a community demand yeah there was audio bus that ah, yeah on their own yeah they found a mechanism and they, they did something themselves and then our oh, apple did interapp audio mm -hmm. and i believe audio bus then started using the Apple API or something like that. And then it looks like Apple have effectively deprecated it already. Okay. Um, yeah, it's not getting any love. The last time I checked, it seemed <laughs> a bit like that. And so I don't know where the community is at now uh, for that. Yeah, uh, being in my world with making apps that play with video, mm -hmm. I I wanted the same mechanism Mm -hmm. for video i wanted in interrupt video oh yeah that would be neat i mean yeah i can't really see apple doing that probably no but it would be really no. really cool uh and there, there are ways and means of it working on on mac os mm -hmm. as well and and there's uh if i can get super into the technicality we've we've got an api called io surface Mm -hmm. and there is a 
um, a library that some um, industry VJ video type people have made. Um, and it's a, a framework called Siphon. And <laughs> nice name. Yeah, uh, spelt with a Y. And um, what it achieves is it means you can actually send video from one app to the other on Mac OS with like pretty much zero latency. Nice. Uh, because, yeah, ultimately what they're doing is they're sharing a, a reference to the um, the texture that is already on the GPU, mm-hmm. I believe, or something along those lines, which is how come it achieves what it does. But the underlying mechanism, the, the IO surface mechanism uh, and everything else they use is sort of more locked down on iOS because huh. of the um, the the sandboxing that we've got i believe i mean i get it they have to like they really want to keep ios more secure yeah but sounds like sounds like this is a really cool thing on a mac and can't really happen on ios that's right yeah and it's a shame because on on i would love it on ipad Mm -hmm. at least Uh, because with the the video mixing app that i'm making with GoVJ, i can split screen it you know i can put it on the left hand side i can put something else on the right mm-hmm. and if this existed then other people could make um they could make like video synths or different effects or whatever that could then be input into my app um and you could yeah have that's real... really cool yeah it's super niche it's incredibly niche uh i'm aware of that but over on the Mac with these the apps that run there and do that is really fun. Oh, I can imagine. Um, yeah. Do you know uh, these uh, these interfaces for programming GPU shaders? You know, also like kind of similar to Audio Hijack actually with the nodes and mm-hmm. the connections between the nodes and stuff yeah. like that. Have you ever yeah. thought of making something like that for GoVJ? Uh, yes. Because if you can't, if you can't export stuff or like add in plugins, then I guess people would have to program it inside the app, right? Yeah. So my take on that is actually I want to include what I'm going to call generators. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to load a video in, uh, there's there's a couple of tabs at the moment in that screen. And I've kind of reserved space mentally for a third tab for generators. And what I want to do there is I'll actually have some specific shaders that have parameters that let people uh, play with them and set up their own presets. Nice. Uh, that will then, yeah, and, and that will give like generative video. Uh, it won't be quite as, as fluid as having like nodes, mm-hmm. but it will give the user something they can play with. And I'm I'm debating if I could chain them together uh, in a kind of node-based system, I was debating the idea of people being able to share presets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, watch this space. That's that's kind <laughs> of like a a stretch target. Let me know. Let me know if you there. ever if you ever need a an API server for the sharing of the the presets. You know, yeah, we can we can yeah, build definitely. it together in Swift in Swift for the server. I'd love that. Yeah, and that that would be what I'd want to do as well. Um, I've pretty much decided any any small API or excuse for an API for any of my own apps, 
I, I want to just set up a Linode um, mm-hmm. stick uh, vapor on there and just do it in Swift. Smart. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know there's a load of other caveats there, right? I know you, you, you've explained to me before, like you've got to understand the uh, the stack and the community a bit and how it's sort of updated and that th- side of things. Um, yeah. But the thing but, is, the further I get into this, um, especially now with async await, the easier it gets and the more, um, and also like just, just the fact that async await is now fully into integrated into the framework, which is yep. was a genius move by the developers, by the way. Like they, they made these, um, basically these adapters that would convert the old style of asynchronicity that is based on Swift NIO to yep. async await. So basically, if you have a function that works the old way, you just add dot get, dot get open bracket close bracket to the end, and then that's an async function because it wraps the whole thing basically. And there's a way oh, there's a way sweet. to bridge it the other way as well. And so over so over the last few months, I think they have pushed all the like pushed the the non async await stuff further and further out. So basically now every API that you encounter is just async await available. And even That's if cool. in the and like once every I don't know, I don't know, five hundred lines of code, you encounter one of those APIs that is not and then you just stick on a dot get at the end and it's fine. With um server side stuff as well, I assume that like pretty much everything has to be asynchronous yeah. to some degree or another. Yeah. Basically, yeah. you have a thing called, that's called a controller, which just groups different API endpoints and or addresses. And then yep. each of those is a function. And you can you can now declare those as async functions directly. So you just start in async mode immediately. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I've. It's funny because I found... I've been bringing async await into Go VJ, so mm-hmm. as, as I bring that together, and and actually the place I've used it um, in the app has got nothing to do with mixing the video. I've used it over in the subscriptions and in-app purchases mm-hmm. manager. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you have some server calls for that, so makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. And I'm using Revenue Cat, and Revenue Cat had. Um, async await already so that was like yeah brilliant yeah that's really nice yeah it's what i love about it is how when you get into the flow with async await like error handling and everything else just starts to make more sense as well totally you know and suddenly you don't have these these huge pyramids of like code within code within or callbacks within callbacks you know yeah yeah and and the linearity of, of of like this goes to here, goes to here, becomes a lot more logical. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a lot more readable because of that. So, yeah, that's funny because I've 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 had this opportunity to to integrate it into the app I'm building in my spare time, and then over in my jobby job, my day job, um, jobby job, got, jobby job, the, the 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 day the day job. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm gradually introducing it a little bit there too and we've had the opportunity to be able to do that on some of our newer apps Mm -hmm. what what i've noticed is that thing again it's where you suddenly start getting rid of code 
your linearity of how the calls are getting made, like in terms of how you can see this goes to here, goes to here, becomes a lot better because you get rid of those pyramids. And although I've had not a lot of difficulty, but some difficulty in explaining the the concept to some of the the interns that we have, mm-hmm. um, when I then if I explain async await first and then explain dis- dispatch keys afterwards and we get into the weeds a little bit with how dispatch keys work and what's going on there mm-hmm. and then come back to async await, they kind of go, ah. <laughs> and you can, t- <laughs> you can tell there's kind of this sort of um, relief that we don't necessarily have to, to work with um with with queues and blocks. Oh um, yeah, that makes total sense. Think, yeah, so I, I'm I'm I've become a async await true believer, definitely. It is it is really a nice technology and it has improved Swift a lot. And you start yeah. using it here and there and then it's it's kinda nice, but then you the blocks are slowly growing together and once they, they intersect different parts that are of your app that both use um async await then suddenly you get these these huge benefits just because everything gets more gets easier and and easier to read more straightforward those kind of things it's really yep. nice the the other thing i found as well is that we often have a situation where uh an api request or something inside of a library we're dealing with um nfc and that type of thing as well in some of the apps in my day job and the structure that i've laid down in the apps is that we've got mvvm and our swift ui views are entirely backed by a view view model and whenever we talk to any of these asynchronous things the view model is doing the work and then it brings the data back and it uses its published variables to trigger an update on the Swift UI view. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, what can often happen is do these things come back on the main thread because you don't want to update your UI on a background thread. Right. And so what I've found with async await is that um, I can kind of force that to happen. Quite often what will have happen is um, a particular um service that we're calling has got a um has got a a block that you send to it a completion block and when the completion block gets triggered with whatever payload we 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 needed um i can send that back to the view model itself to a function in the view model and i can wrap it in a task that's fine right okay we're not in async await land at this point Mm mm-hmm but I can wrap it in a task. I can then trigger a function in the view model and I can make that function tagged with main actor to ensure that we're on the main <laughs> thread. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And and automatically then we've got this situation where I don't care what thread it comes back on and I've tagged my um I've tagged my UI updating function with main actor. I can call that from multiple places with different payloads if necessary, different completion blocks, Mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry about missing a dispatch to the main thread in any of them. 
Yeah. Yes, I have to call it with a task. That's fine. Uh, but then the API enforces that, right? Um, because I've marked my main actor UI updating function with an async call. Yeah. Um, so again, and in this world, in, in, in my day jobs world, I'm teaching a range of people, you know, mainly from intern to junior, um, with a couple of people sort of pushing more intermediate to senior with what they're doing. But I'm teaching this to people who are coming across this stuff for the first time quite often. And having a mechanism where I can enforce this stuff uh, is is really powerful because then that's one less thing we've got to debug. Mm-hmm. You know, one less moment of like, oh, yeah, you didn't dispatch it to the main thread. Of course, it's updated oh, yeah. weird or whatever, you know. I, I love these um, kinds of situations where just the, the compiler itself just makes sure that in this specific bug cannot happen in this specific uh, function or situation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you sort of feel like you're you're putting down guide rails, if you like. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I lean so hard into things like design patterns and app architecture, because... I sort of think, well, if you get the balance of that right, then you've got these guide rails for people to to use when they're developing the app. Um, but I feel with async await, we've got this this, like you say, coming through from the compiler, coming through from the API itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when we use it in these these ways, yeah. And it also, um, I mean, remember our conversation about tests last time? It motivated yep. me to add way more tests to all my applications. And I found out that I could to the to the API server, which is called in Swift. I had a moderate amount of tests to add um, to the um, to the iOS app, which is called written in Swift. Um, same same deal. But then the JavaScript app, I mean, the same functionality required about ten times as many tests because you have <laughs> no type safety or similar similar things that make sure that certain things can't happen so you need to test way more situations just because they could happen whereas in in type safe languages like swift it just it just can't like yes. i can't i can't put a string in here because this thing expects an integer whereas in javascript <laughs> well <laughs> something will happen yeah yeah i see that um it's uh yeah it's another barrier against those edge cases and those those situations totally uh, way back when way back when i had one of my first interviews for an ios role and at that time swift was just into swift 2 i believe and um I got asked like what I thought the benefits of Swift were, what I what I liked about what I was doing, and I kind of that's exactly what I mentioned at the time is that I sort of feel like the type safety is making me write better code, mm-hmm. you know, because of what it is enforcing and what it can and cannot do. Um, that didn't seem to be the answer they were looking for at the time. I'm not really sure what they were fishing for at that point, um, but I still stand by that that uh, vibe that I had sort of earlier on in, in in this part of my career, which is that the Swift itself, by doing these things, is, is 
uh, helping me write better code. Oh yeah, um, I get, I totally get that. Speaking of better code, uh, how's GoVJ going? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mentioned before that I was adding async await into mm -hmm. a like a I've called it a purchases manager, and it's a an object that is Wait, handling not, all not, these a, not a sales cap. not a sales manager. Oh it, yeah, <laughs> not a key account <laughs> manager. Yeah, it, I missed a trick there. Um, if you look in my code base, like every other thing is either a manager or a service, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. That that yeah. helps give me locality to what these things do. But um, anyway, that, what that is achieving for me is that's doing all of the the in-app purchase stuff. Um, so I've got just to go over the lay of the land. I've got original users who bought the app when it was paid up front, mm -hmm. and I have. Then from about two and a bit years ago, I've got users that have bought an in-app purchase to remove the watermark from the app that appears over your video when you're mixing it and using the app. Mm -hmm. And what I'm looking to do is have a third class of users who will pay for a subscription with this version two of the app. Right. And... In version two of the app, what will happen is is that you and you will see a screen, um, and I've built this now. You've you've seen me post videos, I think, mm -hmm. to Twitter. Um, but there's a screen where it it pops up and it tells you the benefits of going pro, uh, and then gives you the option to buy one of three things, and those three things are a monthly subscription, an annual subscription, or a lifetime upgrade. And this is the new world. This is where I want people to be. Um, but that obviously means that's, that I've got to manage subscriptions. I've got to manage whether they've bought this lifetime purchase. And I also have to account for all the old users. Uh, now, my the choice I've made is that if you bought the app on, on paid up front or if you've bought the watermark, you automatically get the pro upgrade. Mm -hmm. So if those people hit restore, then they will get the full app. Um, I've, I've got no interest in taking their money all over again. I would sooner have their goodwill. So uh, super permissive and flexible kind of grandfathering um, policy there. But Yeah, that sounds this, like this, the right is, approach. Uh, it is and it isn't. There's an argument that, <laughs> um, like we talked about, uh, which may not make it into the show, but we talked about um, Rogue Amoeba having Audio Hijack 4 and, and how for me that was like an instant upgrade because I've got five years worth of use of the app. There are people out there that have had five years worth of GoVJ who will never pay again if I do this. Uh, yeah, that's correct. But honestly, it, it's a hobby app. And I don't care. Is <laughs> the bottom line? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I it's it. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to sound dismissive or anything because GoVJ is amazing, and I think the people who use it get a lot of value out of that. But I assume that most people don't get monetary value out of it, but more like sense of satisfaction, of playfulness, of having a great yes. party. 
um, where yep. they, and I mean, the monetary value could be that they have to consume less drugs because the visualizations are just so awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm joking. Don't do drugs, kids. Um, uh. um, what, what, what did I want to say? Anyway, uh, so there's a point, there's, um, so I think if you get enough people to pay for the thing so that it motivates you to work on it in your spare time, then I think it's fine. But I also feel yeah. like it's it's not shameful or it's not wrong to nudge people into giving you money. Like I mean you can be no. you can be evil about it. You can you can use all these dark patterns or whatever, but I mean just telling people like, hey, I'm I'm David and I make this app and you can give me a little bit of money and it would be really nice. Like don't you don't have to to hide that somewhere deep in deep deep in the app. It's okay to surface that. And then if you're still yeah. super magnanimous with your upgrades and everything, like I mean people will love you for that. I hope so. The, the, I, I felt like when I went paid up front to um the in app purchase I didn't quite bring people along with me properly. Mm-hmm. And and there was I tried. I tried to bring the um the paid up front people uh across and I messed it up. Something went wrong with my code. I was I was doing things badly. I wasn't using revenue cats at the time. Uh and so I was doing an awful lot manually and I was actually trying to decrypt um and do the, the receipt validation on device, which is super bad. You should never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I wanted it done quickly and I didn't want to set up a server I had to worry about at the time either. And that all backfired. That went wrong. And then people got very upset at me. Like, hey, I just bought this last month. Why do I need to do an in-app purchase to remove a watermark to get back to where I was? Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I panicked a bit about that at the time, I, I managed it by giving people promo codes and... um then of course I, I I updated it with uh, Revenue Cat and rebuilt things in in that sense and it, and honestly after about an hour and a half of work it just worked, um, which Very is good. has been you know that again that that was an easy sell for me to use Revenue Cat. They're not sponsoring me. If they want to, they can get in touch. Oh, it's <laughs> it's, it's expensive though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the sponsoring is ex- <laughs> expensive. Like, Revenue like, cat, on the other hand, no, no, is no. nice and, and no. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> getting back to the point. Um, yeah, so I had a lot of bad will at that time, mm-hmm. right? And, and and actually, I had people posting to Reddit and um, over on a Facebook group and being really pissy about the fact I was charging again as they saw it. Uh, so I want to avoid that because and, that and was just, like that was the just to opposite give some of monetary to value to that. Like, what is the amount of money that you charge <laughs> at that time? Um, and at this time, really, actually, it's like about four or five US dollars. Oh my god, that's um, like yeah. I could see why people are really, really pissed because that's a lot of money, especially for people who have an iPhone and just spend time with the vj um, yep i'm sensing some level of sarcasm here from <laughs> yes. you daniel uh yes um i don't know it's not for me to say what's a lot or not for uh for a user but 
Uh, there is a reason why I am now changing to subscription, though, and and I believe that, you know, a monthly subscription of a dollar or two, if somebody is using it regularly, I don't think that's unreasonable. Totally. Um, yeah, you know, that's a buy me a beer, buy me a coffee every every other month. Yeah, and I think uh, it's okay to frame it that way too. I feel like, I mean, lots of people are kind of skeptical for about software subscriptions because they uh, i feel like they're afraid that oh but if i have 20 subscriptions that will be so much money every month um yes so yeah just subscribe to the apps that you really want to support vote with your wallet i do feel that apple yeah. could make it easier to unsubscribe from these like it's it's, it's a bit they too can make it easier to, to do yeah. yeah for sure but other than that yeah i mean software is is a lot of work to create and it yeah like don't you no no one is no one is forcing you to use to use this software so if you really want to use it it's fine to buy to buy your beer yeah yeah exactly and and that you know i mean the cost of 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 what i earn from the app store is paying for uh things like my developer license it's paying mm. for if I want to buy some specific equipment to test the app with as well, that I mean, it would be really nice if I I made enough to pay for a projector to play with uh, at home with this Ooh, app that because be that's neat. actually part of the point of the app, you know. Have you considered adding a donation jar? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I don't think if this is a good idea or not. I just want to hear your thoughts thoughts on it. Uh honestly, and this actually sounds like a very deliberate segue towards your world but (laughs) (laughs) um i'm going to run telemetry deck and keep track of the what's restored Uh and keep keep track of how many people are um original paid up front purchases how many people are in-app purchase watermark purchases from the intervening period and obviously how many people are falling into the new categories of subscription Mm -hmm. And when I look at the numbers, that'll inform whether I bother with a tip jar or not. Because if they're subscribing, they don't need to do that. If the if I've got ninety percent of people are people who bought the app as paid up front, and they're actually using the app all the time, then maybe it's worth me doing. Yeah, I can just see to that. Say, hey, you, yeah. So oh. if you, by the way, if you use telemetry deck this way, then you're going to love mm-hmm. the funnel and sessions and retention features that are coming up in the roadmap next that times very nicely that means i can get this update done get this version 2.0 out of the door and then maybe by the time i'm looking at 2.1 or 2.2 that's that's there to help yeah let's hope so like even if it comes later the data you will be able, able to analyze the data that you're collecting now sweet um How's that, how's that going, actually, Daniel? How's, how's all of that development going on your side? It's good. It's good. Like, I think last time or two times ago, I talked a lot about um, task-based queries, which is this thing yep. that um, I'm splitting up the, the querying of the, let's say, database with uh, supplying the response. So now basically uh, the clients, which is API clients or the desktop app or the web site or the iPhone app will send a query 
to um, to the API, and the API will just hand you back an, a task ID. And with that ID, you can basically say like, okay, what's the status of my task? And it will run for yep. a while, and then it will give you back the result once it's once it's calculated. But you can also with that task ID get old uh, results, so you can immediately show the the previously calculated result in the UI, which is which makes it feel really snappy, which is very nice. Um, and so on top of that, I now also build pre-calculation, which is now out in the web dashboard and in the iPhone app, not yet in the desktop app though, um, which is basically that if your if your chart takes a long long while, which is um, a long while to to compute, let's say longer than two seconds, then the server will yep. periodically recalculate it so that the 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 chart that you see immediately after you open the app is no older than let's say three hours and that's really cool. that seems to work and because and this this took a long time because i took the time to really revamp how um, data is passed around through various parts of the system both on the client and on the server um, how data is formatted uh, stuff like that but now I'm seeing all the benefits. And today, <laughs> actually, I want to. I want you to do something. Um, open a browser, please, and go to telemetrydeck.com. Yep. And now scroll down to the very bottom where you see the, all those numbers where it's the like amount of apps and amount of signals and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see you. Okay, got... number of signals, watch that. I now have the performance to just update oh, this wow. number once a second. Oh, that's very cool. And the thing is, both yeah. of us are now looking at that page, but it only has to calculate it once because I'm only like, because the the tasks, they replace each other. So if I request the same thing 20 times, it will just calculate it once. Because of the way it's hashed. Right. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And obviously yeah. I'm seeing that live and in real time. Um, and you've got a lot of signals now. <laughs> yeah, through. next milestone is 800 million. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Sweet. Yeah, I actually thought about um, about whether I could do something like this inside um, inside GoVJ or actually on my uh -huh. website for it, like in terms of, of tracking how many people were using the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't sure about it, but it was it was a, a, a kind of daydream of like, you know, join two hundred people. Oh, who have, yeah, I get that. Yeah, and whether or not I could use telemetry deck to achieve that. I mean, it should be pretty easy. It should be pretty easy to query the API, and then that will just give you give you back the result. So, like, you can you can um, with a like with a API key, you can just query the API. Yes, and of course I would have the API key to send the signals, right? So, right. Only thing is, is, I, is it this, right now you wouldn't, you or or you shouldn't just, I don't know. Like if you make a website, your API key should really shouldn't be in the JavaScript. So I don't know. No, I don't know. We might have to. I like I, I've been thinking about this because various people kept asking about this. Like, can we display various? data that's in telemetry deck can we display that publicly on our website and um, i gave them the same answer that 
I just I just gave you like here, here's how to generate an API key, and here here's how to use that API key to to query the API yourself. Like it's it's all there. It's just the documentation is not very good. But there is yeah. actually there is actually some documentation. <laughs> um, okay, and and is that API key a read only key? It is not. It, you can do basically everything that the the user interfaces do, but. Um, Many people who asked about this, what they want to do is they want to surface some sort of overview about the data that they collect on their public website. And so they have to proxy it somehow. So their web server kind of yes. queries the data from telemetry deck and then just pushes it, pushes it out to the website. Um, so it might be, it might be in the future. I don't know. Like I've, I'm still thinking about this, that uh, you could just embed a telemetry deck widget in your page that says these are the types of signal that telemetry deck is receiving for your app or this is the amounts of signal or something like that. Yep. That'll be awesome, especially if it sort of came with like some some preset um, HTML or something that was yeah. just a, a copy-paste. Yeah, it's, it's basically like an interactive privacy policy. <laughs> I love that idea. I can see that being something um, probably easier for you after you've kind of gone into the the, the realm of um, things like user roles and teams and that side of stuff mm-hmm. for telemetry decks. So I can imagine there being a, a certain type of organization or a certain level of customer that would not only have the developer who needs to have right access for the apps, but would also have... Um, an analyst or somebody who just wants to come in and check the signals, create some insights of their own, um, but on top of the same uh, data mm-hmm. and within my team. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And, and I, yeah. And, and then at the point at which you've kind of got that mechanism working, then the website just becomes another type of person on the team. Yeah, I imagine the API could look like, look something like... Um, you know, you go to your app settings and there's a switch that says share these on the web, share the types of signals and or share yep. the numbers. And then, then it just, you just get an, a URL and then that URL gives you a, a actually nicely formatted web, website already that you can link to or yep. it gives you an API that gives you just JSON for these so you can integrate it into your own website or something. Yep. Something like that. That'd be great, and the latter is what I would then use within within the app, because right. part of what I was thinking of for this was to actually count up like um, like I say recent active users or something like that, and then be able to say something nice like join these people. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, obviously you only want that to happen if there's actually a good number there. So that's um, that's where I'm. I've got a bit of trepidation, but. Uh, if I did it, I'd want it to be real. I wouldn't want to fake it. Oh, yeah, of course. So, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, listener, if you want this, tweet me on Twitter. And like, if there's like enough um, feedback, I will probably put that on the roadmap somewhere. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. I'm not going to start a campaign, Daniel. I don't <laughs> want to affect your, your working day like that, but count me in. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. Speaking of working day, I now have an office. Oh, um, it is actually just a desk in a co-working space, 
but the co-working space is so tiny that and i'm right now i'm the only person in that co-working space that i have just declared this as my office <laughs> brilliant so for context for listeners you've been developing telemetry deck entirely from from your home office yeah that's correct yeah and i mean i really never thought this but i actually i don't miss the um or i i never thought that i would want to would miss off an office because i'm a huge believer in remote work and i'm a huge believer in working from home because you don't have a forced commute um you have the hardware that you need and you just decide what hardware you need and you get that paid for by your yep. employer hopefully and um i it's fair to say that i do lots of my developer socializing online as well and i mean add to that some conferences once they're possible again of course but yeah uh, but it turns yep. out that uh i miss being able to separate work from home because just being all at home all the time it had an effect on how much i concentrated on 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 the work that i wanted wanted to do like i mean i would i would work half an hour or an hour and then i would think like okay i need to do the laundry i'm going to do that now and then maybe i would do the laundry walk past uh, the fridge get a snack um <laughs> uh, barely avoid the call of the playstation and i don't know the cats would would demand my attention or whatever and yeah. i i do like um i do time tracking like back from my times as a consultant slash freelancer i would always track my time and somehow that habit has stuck so i i still track my time and i would somehow even though i felt like i've been i'd been busy the whole day i amounted to about five ish tracked hours per day which wow. felt okay. wrong because I felt felt like I would go out, get up in the morning, have breakfast, sit down at the computer, and then work until um, eight at night or so. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I wondered where the time went, and it's just like it's just like ambling about, and then I don't know, like just like having conversations with people, and I don't know. So um, I set out to try out a co-working space. And ideally one that is uh, very small, very tiny, because uh, then I didn't have to have many contacts because uh, COVID is still a thing. And I'm, yeah. I, I, I don't think the risk-reward calculation would work for me personally if I would have to meet many people. And um, so the yeah. local organization yeah, to support startups, the, the DZ, DCS, um, the Digital Center of Swabia, <laughs> um <laughs> they um like i already know them they support they support us with telemetry deck a little bit and they have a small co-working space so i called them up and was like hey how does this work and they were like yeah you just buy um days in advance and then you can just use them up whenever you want or you can buy a whole month yep. that's a bit more expensive but um actually per per, per day it's it's cheaper so if you i don't know so Buying a whole month is the same as buying 20 days, I think, or 14 days, something like that. So, um, so I bought, I bought 10 days for now and I've been there a few, a few days now. I've been there three times, I think. And, uh, the, the, the building is very nice. The, the DZS is, um, one level above me. And the, so I've met them every now and then in the courtyard. 
Um, the office itself is very light and airy, and as I said, is completely deserted, which is which is um, perfect for my for my purposes. And they have yep. fast internet. Uh, it's very nice, and it's about a twenty minute bike ride across the city. So I even get some a, a workout done. That's cool. And actually, having a a sub half hour commute, I think, can sometimes be a good thing. Yeah, if if like there's a tipping yeah. point. I, I used to I used to have much. these one hour one hour twenty commutes, and those are just they break you. But like just a twenty minute bike ride is just about the perfect perfect amount of commuting for me. Especially now that it's getting yeah. warmer in the northern hemisphere. Of course, yeah, we're going the opposite direction right. here in New Zealand. Um, yeah, it's kind of stuttering towards winter at the moment. But um, that sounds really cool. It is. I, um, my time tracker I, now I shows eight, eight hours, eight hours, 39 hours. So wow, okay. with the same amount of work that I put in. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I was going to ask that actually how that metric has changed. <laughs> and I think the other key question for me would be, uh, what's the coffee like over in the, uh, the uh, co-working space? It's fine, I guess. So um, <laughs> they have various other offices in that building. Um, and most of them are startups that are big enough to uh, be able to afford an office. Um, the biggest one is actually Lisa's employer, which is really cool. Um, so she works in the same building now as, as I do. Um, yep. She's your, your co-founder. Yes. Yes, correct. Um, yep. But the coffee machine that I have access to is one of those Nespresso slash Koi rig types. Yep. And it's a, um, it's like everyone has access to this thing. So I'm kind of skeptical about the cleanliness of the cups and how well it's maintained. <laughs> Um, and sometimes it just refuses to work for some reason. But I mean, yeah. it, there's a beverage that's hot and black, and it has caffeine. So that's if fair. I want if that's I want fuzzy fu fuzzy coffee, I, I guess I'm in the wrong place. So it's fine. It's not it's not amazing, yeah. but it's not horrible. I uh, put that out down on uh, one of your next company purchases over <laughs> the next few months. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah, and the 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 complex there's a few other um, office buildings around and then they have a shared cafeteria with outside seating so i actually dare to go there because outside seating and yep. that was nice too so like there's a few people around that i want to meet and i can have um lunch with them every every now and then so it's nice it's very nice oh that's super cool uh i i could this is the thing right is that I, i'm very much an advocate for remote working as well and you know i sort of feel like my ideal actually is about three days at home two days in the office uh just right. in terms of the way my job is right um that that there's a balance there where i can still do all of my my um pair programming and catching up with people remotely mm -hmm. that's fine i've been doing that absolutely fine while we've been 100 percent remote for for covid um but then the the contact time is useful as well, and actually having face to face, um, because we are a company that is primarily um, co located mm -hmm. by default. You know, we've not gone all all in on remote. Um, just the way we work tends to require that a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I get value out of it as well. I get value out of seeing people. And so I don't know, like if I was in your world, if I was in a position where I was, you know, working on my own apps and things all day, right? Uh, I reckon I could get to a point where I actually miss some of that, that uh, sort of peer contact, if you like. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and I do, I have always sort of said, if that happens, if I'm doing, you know, a hundred percent remote on my own stuff without a, 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 a sort of a team and a company I'm working for in that hub, I would have to use a co-working space like you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that once before I did that back in the UK when I was living in Leicester and I just started contracting. And I, I was aware that I'd gone from being 14 years in the same company and having oh, wow. a whole group of, yeah, uh, and a whole life and group of people that I'd, I'd sort of, you know, gone through my 20s with actually in that company um, to having nobody. And uh, yeah, a co working space helped stop that being too isolating at that point in time. Yeah, I get that. And yeah, I. Uh, uh, Again, I don't want to um, devalue online relationships, friendships, and that side of things. But in the course of a working day, I think some some ability to bounce off another human being can be can be very useful. Yeah, um, and also there's yeah. just a general context switching. And I mean, I'm I'm also like for me, it's a bit special because uh, my wife has an ongoing health issue that requires a lot of attention. And yep. um, she's now okay enough so that, um, well, we still have to go to doctor's appointments and or physical therapy every other day. And I have to drive yep. her and help her there and then also do all the shopping and stuff. Um, but it, it means that on the days where like these things don't have to happen, um so at least like twice a week or something i can actually kind of kind of escape my role as caregiver and just be a coding nerd and that's also yep. very helpful um yeah and because, obviously no yeah no disrespect to the, the the caring side of your role here or anything like that but it kind of means that um if i think about it this means that you your wife is getting the best out of you when you're there as well Right. If I add this all up together because because right. you've got those those days in the co-working space where you're a hundred percent telemetry deck guy, uh, you can be a bit more a hundred percent caregiver and husband in the other times, right? Yeah, because you're not the, splitting yourself mentally. Yeah, that's the other thing, and um, like uh, she's okay with it. Like she can she can now do a day on her own. Yep, uh, most of the time. And but yeah, um, I don't have to context switch all the time. So when I'm when I'm there, I'm really there, and when I'm at the office, I'm really at the office. Yeah, and I think you have to be really strict when you're a hundred percent working from home uh, to maintain that sort of context switching at its best, right? I think that's actually quite difficult for most people. To you achieve. have to be really strict, and I'm usually okay at it. But yeah. it also, um, but like if if but I can usually tr- like push out distractions like oh I wanna I would I would rather game or take a walk or whatever during the day. Yeah. But like if someone kind of needs you, then they need you, right? <laughs> I mean, 
Exactly. Yeah. And um, also, I, I noticed that when I was freelancing or consulting or actually working remotely, then there would always be a a, a boss or an organization that kind of expected you to keep your hours, right? But now that I'm the yes. boss, uh, <laughs> that that has changed. And I mean, and I mean, it's okay to work a half day every now and then, or just like take the time that I need. Uh, <laughs> I know that I know that I, I've really needed and, and enjoyed that that um, that flexibility in the last in the last month. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just different. No, that's good, and uh, I mean, like, it's good that you're now reaching a new balance in terms of all of those things, and and. You know, obviously one where your wife still feels supported but um i i think it's i can totally see how this is working quite well for you for telemetry dick and um i must admit i'm a wee bit jealous to be honest with you because i'm, I'm uh-huh. in a 100 percent covid at home mode at the moment and um the office that i can go and use is um potentially has a lot more contact than you're describing uh, so I'm I'm not so so into that at the moment. Yeah, and I I couldn't do it in an in a normal um, amount of office um, bumbling and bustling, you know. Like yeah. if if every I don't know x, x minutes someone would walk past my desk without a mask on, I would be completely unable to concentrate because yeah. I would feel in danger constantly. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tricky balance, that one. And I know everybody's got their own personal risk with that one. And I, I must admit, though, I'm in the same camp as you. Um, and especially because I've had uh, post-COVID mm-hmm. symptoms as well. I, I struggle to say I've got long COVID, but I've definitely got something bordering on that. So I'm definitely in the category of I don't want to contract it again if I can avoid it, you know? Yeah, I get that. I get that very much. But anyway... Co-working space sounds like the only thing you've got to fix is the coffee. And once you've got that fixed and travel is possible, I'll come and visit. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, I'll book. I'll book an extra day just for you in the in the space. Sweet. Or even better, like there's uh, in the nearby city of Munich, there's a hack space from the Chaos Computer Club. We can go there, and I think it's way more pretty and nerdy, and <laughs> a bit more social. So we should check that out. Awesome. Well, until that day, Daniel, mm-hmm. um, I think we've, we're probably at the end of a show. It sounds like that. Yeah, it does. So where can people find you online? I am at Break the System on Twitter. I'm also, because we're doing this now, apparently, I am Break the System at mstdn.io on Mastodon. And we'll link in the show notes. Yes. And you find you can find my company, Telemetry Deck, at telemetrydeck.com. You can also find it at telemetryduck.com. But that's just an in-joke. And what about what about you? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at David Gary Wood. You can find me also, as we say, we're doing this now on Mastodon. And I'm currently David Gary Wood at Mastodon.social, although that's probably going to change once I've got my own instance running. Uh, maybe. Do I want another admin, a server admin job? Maybe not. Um, and otherwise, you can find um, my 
GoVJ app at GoVJapp.com. Awesome. Then, David, I wish you a wonderful day because it's morning for you. Uh, have a great That's day. Right. Have a productive day uh, full of happiness and awesome vibes, I guess. Oh, totally. Once I've got my coffee, <laughs> sense the, the recurring morning thing here. Nice. <laughs> I'm getting a beer now. Oh, jealous. Catch you soon, Daniel. See ya. It's been great. 